On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning broadcast in our 15th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening, I'm Cornelius Wright. Chadwick Boseman was known for his portrayal of T'Challa, the Black Panther, in the Marvel Comics films from 2016 to 2019, and for his starring roles as several pioneering Americans, namely Jackie Robinson in 42 in 2013, James Brown in Get On Up in 2014, and Thurgood Marshall in Marshall in 2017. This versatile actor also had choice parts in The Express, which was in 2008, Draft Day, which was in 2014, and Message from the King, in 2016. Born in Anderson, South Carolina, he attended Howard University and studied at, studied at the Oxford Middle, I'm sorry, the Oxford Midsummer Program for Acting before moving to Los Angeles in 2008 to pursue his craft on the big screen. He died on August 24th after a four year bout with colon cancer, during which time he had starred in several of the biggest movies ever made. In the first half hour of this edition of Bring It On, we will explore the cinematic contributions of Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman during his short yet impactful career. In the second half hour, we'll discuss the devastating effects of colorectal cancer and viable detection and prevention measures. Here to help shed light on the remarkable stage and screen craft of this actor, writer, and producer is Dr. Terry Francis, a recurring guest on Bring It On, she is an associate professor of cinema and media studies and director of the Black Film Center Archive and the Media School at Indiana University. Dr. Francis, as always, welcome to Bring It On. Welcome. Good morning, or good evening, rather. It's uh, great to see you. Well, somewhere in the world it is morning, that is true. <laughs> and uh, we do thank you for affording us the time, and it is Labor Day, um, and for affording us the time to join us. We, we want to start right off because time is rather short. Um, I, one thing, noticeable thing about Chad Bolzman, for those who've ever interacted with him, and when he had, you know, he's, he's got this presence as a proud black man, number one, but then his voice, he opens his mouth, and then this, I would say, a, a British accent just comes across the, the TV screen. And then, but you can't help but think, does he have African roots? And I was wondering if you've done any research on his roots. I know that it says he was born in, in South Carolina, but did his, one of his parents come from Africa or what, what's the background on that? No, you know, as well, first of all, good evening again. And um, I think it is a kind of moment of collective mourning. And this is where we gather with our friends, you know, to. Um, to remember the beloved who has uh, has passed on. 
Um, as far as I know, uh, Mr. Bozeman was an American, African-American of African-American parentage. He says that um, through a, a DNA test, um, I don't know that there was genealogical sort of paper tracing um, to specific ancestors um, on the continent. But he says that um, he has ancestry among the Creo and Limba in what is today Sierra Leone and the Yoruba, um, the Yoruba rather, in Nigeria. Um, so I, I, so I, that's the extent that I think is known about his heritage. I just, uh, again, I have remarked that it's just, it was that strong, I, I mistook as a British accent, and maybe it's it's acting. I don't know. Maybe it's an but, acting accent. Yeah, it's just, just acting. <laughs> <laughs> well, Clarence, I know that I kind of looked that up as I was researching for the show, and he had a coach from South Africa to help him with that accent. So it's something that he worked on for his craft, but uh, in, in doing some reading, it stated that that he had an acting coach from South Africa to help him with the accent. And, and to star in Black Panther, you can't sound like you come from the South side of Chicago. You, you really have to have some resonance from the mother country. And it's, it appears that his, his acting coach helped him to develop that, uh, yeah, that, that and distinctive accent. On the, um, on the Daily Show, in a conversation with Trevor Noah, they t he talked about the importance of um, of actually not having a British accent in the character of T'Challa and wanting to have um, uh, some, you know, something that was more ancient, something more grounded. So he chose um, the, uh, like the, you know, the, the click, uh, one of the click languages and that that gave him that sense of, um, of an epic character and not a kind of, um, you know, like cliche, American actor in South Africa with a random, you know, European accent. It's kind of interesting. Obviously, Black Panther was right now one of his more famous roles. But in his short life, as we talked about opening the show, he's portrayed so many historic mm -hmm. characters. From your perspective, uh, working in, in the cinema field, which one is your favorite and why? Mm. Well, you know, we always say we can't pick a favorite because they're all um, remarkable in their own way. Um, I, what I could say is how I think about his career in general, um, because what interests me in a way is actually the, the, the character of Chadwick Boseman himself. So I think this is someone, I think that's his greatest role is that this is someone who made very conscious decisions from the time he was a student at Howard um, and the time that he got himself fired from All My Children. He was playing Reggie, uh, the um, adopted gang member son of, um, of Erica Kane's husband on the soap opera. And he, um, he did not like this character. He wanted to change it. Apparently the writers did not want him doing that. And, uh, and so they let him, they let him go. And, um, and actually Michael B. Jordan took on that role for some, some amount of time. And of course they met again, um, 
well, I think this is a pretty small group. I think they probably all know each other, but came together again in, um, you know, famously um, kind of antagonist brothers, cousins in, um, in Black Panther. Um, but so I, what I see is Chadwick Boseman kind of playing a version of Sidney Poitier, the sort of dignified, thoughtful, self-directed representation of the best of us. Yeah. And, um, and he's doing that by playing, um, loved and respected characters who are yet a little bit mysterious. So like, you know, Jackie Robinson is someone who I think is known, right, for um, uh, his role in integrating baseball. Uh, but he's able to give us some of the quiet moments that, you know, that wouldn't have been reported in the paper. This, uh, I don't know if you guys remember this um, scene in the hallway. Like, so like, so when a member of another team has been taunting him on the field and, um, and it's pretty appalling, you know, like appalling. And he is, you know, made to take it. Um, notably, a lot of the other white players are not helping. Like they're not sort of standing up for him. They just are sort of, you know, like just kind of, classic um, white, like meaning well, but not really, you know, doing anything. And so you're getting these like shots of all these people who are looking on sympathetically, but not really acting. And so he, he eventually leaves the field and he breaks a baseball bat by banging it against the wall to, you know, express his rage, but it's a rage he can't express in public. He, ha he has to come off the field. Um, to do this. I think his portrayal of James Brown and uh, I was about to say, let's get it on, but that is not the name of that film. Uh, maybe is it get it on? What is it called? Let's get, get on, on up. Get on up. Get on. Yes. So, and there he's able to capture the genius, the loneliness, um, the sheer um, will to survive of this you know, this figure. So I think this, something that he's able to do is to write with his body, with the tiny expressions of his face, with his breath, um, creating a relationship um, between himself and characters who are larger than life, you know, who are huge, um, but to bring it, bring it on down close. Um, I started to watch his action film. Have you all seen this? Yes. Oh, okay, so yeah, yeah. Mr. Bozeman also played an action, another kind of action hero. He's a cop, um, a cop of ambiguous moralities in, uh, in a film called 21 Bridges. It came out, in, I don't know, it seems like 100 years ago, but it was 2019. <laughs> it's like time has extended in this weird way. And so, like, so he's, um, you know, he's his father, the, he, in his character, the father, who's also a policeman, was killed in the line of duty, and we begin the film in the at the funeral where young um, oh, what is a character's name? Oh my gosh, it just went out of my head. Um, but anyway, and so he does that, and then he does um, he's then the next time you see him as an adult, he's um, having some kind of a hearing within the police, you know, whatever unit uh, department. 
because he has uh, shot a number of people, including other police officers in the line of duty. And so then we go on this other kind of journey with him. So I think that Mr. Bozeman is a really interesting figure that includes like whoever he was in his private life. And we know now in death, he kept quite a bit to himself. Um, and these characters that he played, uh, that he played and refused to play across his career um, as a way of writing and directing his, his own persona, the persona that he wanted to put out there, young, gifted, Black, you know, along with Winston Duke, Denai Guerrero, Lupita and Youngo, Mike. I mean, they were just gorgeous, all of them together. These like young, beautiful black people. And um, and so those are the things, you know, those are the things that interest me about him, this larger character that he's playing, who's also called Chadwick Boseman. Let me, let me uh, follow up with, with this sort of observation. Uh, I was reading where for the role of Black Panther, and that's been celebrated as um, sometimes erroneously as the first time a black actor took on a major superhero uh, portrayal of, of a superhero. But Wesley Snipes, uh, years earlier, was the Blade. I believe it was the Blade. And there were comparisons in that, you know, he sort of broke that uh, barrier to portray this action hero, the superhero. And of course, Black Panther's been celebrated. Um, you know, it, people have said it has inspired them to aspire to do more. It has, you know, people have cried because they're so overwhelmed by seeing a continent, well, not a continent, but a country that is all black. It's, it's, it's just uh, has technology, has wealth, has intelligence. And, and, as, and it has a meaning with so many people. That's why his passing has been so impactful, I would imagine, just because mm -hmm. of really the impact of this movie. This one particular movie that, you know, had a series of runs, uh, spinoffs. And I do understand that uh, they will no longer cast anyone in that role. So he will forever be known as the Black Panther. But your thoughts on just the impact of the Black Panther, uh, how he moved a, a community of people and inspired us. And, and, and what are your personal thoughts of, about the Black Panther? And I'd, I'd like to interject and add a little something to that. I, I hadn't heard that he would not, uh, they would not be uh, replacing him in any way. And, and I wanted to kind of go here. Obviously the Black Panther now has become a franchise. And I think about, uh, James Bond and some of the other franchises throughout history. So that kind of surprises me that uh, they would possibly end that part of a franchise. So could you expound on that a little bit also? Well, this is the first time hearing that. I think that's, it sounds a little bit like retiring someone's jersey, you know, and kind of a way of acknowledging that they played they created the meaning of that character and no one can replace that. And I think that's respectful and, um, and a really loving thing to do. I mean, in terms of the franchise, I mean, they, there's a lot that can be done. I mean, in, um, 
I would I would imagine that there exists footage of um, Mr. Bozeman as T'Challa that was not used in the film that could be um, used in flashback sequences um, and other kinds of memorials and subsequent films. I don't know. Am I giving them Marvel ideas? Um, potentially. Uh, I mean, you know, in um, in Storm, uh, Storm and Norman, I mean, in uh, De Defy Bloods, the Spike Lee joint with, um, with Chadwick Boseman playing Storm and Norman, he plays a character who had passed. He, he, he's in the memory of the, of, um, you know, the guys who are looking for gold in the, in the Vietnamese rainforest. And, um, and there he's playing, you know, Spike Lee says this great thing where he's like, you know, who do I cast as the superhero in my film? Of course, I'm going to cast T'Challa. He doesn't say I'm casting uh, Chadwick Boseman. He's like, I'm casting um, uh, James Brown, Thurgood Marshall, and Jackie Robinson and T'Challa all wrapped up into one. So I think there is something really unique and irreplaceable about him. Um, I, I do remember, I, you know, what I remember about Black Panther is buying a ticket like way in whenever, whenever the tickets went on sale, like three months earlier, which I wouldn't, I never do that. Uh, I think most people don't, but there was something, I don't know, really exciting about this movie coming out. Um, and, you know, I, I saw it here in Indianapolis at the mall and I, you know, to be honest with you, when I saw it, I realized, you know, I don't know that I'm into action film. Like, I just sort of, like, I went, for, I wanted, I was going to Wakanda. You know what I mean? I was going to, like, Black film paradise. Um, I was going to the land of Winston Duke and all his beauteousness. Um, I, and, um, but, you know, it was um, a post-industrial mall in the Rust Belt um, in the middle of the day. Um, everyone with their sad lunches, um, you know, in the middle of their retail jobs. And it struck me that we would all like to go to Wakanda, this place where technology serves people um, rather than it creating more work for you, where you have something precious that you're protecting. Um, but I also don't, I'm not into car chases and yelling. So I'm not, I'm not like the, I'm not the audience <laughs> for the action film, but I still really, you know, obviously enjoyed it and respected the, the whole, you know, moment. It was really amazing. Well, well, for me, I, um, I watched that and I noticed that number one, there were seasoned actors who were, uh, had sort of resurrected perhaps some of their careers and they were prominently featured. They weren't just, uh, uh, stand-ins, or I mean, not stand-ins, they weren't extras. Uh, the other thing is there was a sense of pride in this country, not arrogance, but just pride. And even the other clans that interacted with this clan, there was mutual respect, there was pride. Yes, there were cult, there were clan differences, but everybody was respected. On There was an honor code. And I think as people watch that, uh, it really resonated that, hey, at one time in Africa, it was like that before uh, the imperial colonization, before the slave trade. And there were universities in Africa um, centuries ago, precious minerals that had been stolen from that continent. 
And uh, I didn't want to. I don't want to go on and on, but uh, the the image of Tarzan swinging from the trees and huts and whatnot is totally, you know, just debunked in this movie. And there's this sort of people were walking tall after viewing this, and that, and there was a psychological resonance there that I think will last for years and years. And and to be honest, when it came on just the other week after his passing, I couldn't bring myself to watch it. I know, I know. It has a another kind of depth and and it, it is painful. It is painful. Um, when you know when you feel that the person is out there in the world with you, it changes how you are relating to that world. But knowing that they are not there, you're kind of walking into this absence. Um, that I think is I think I understand, I definitely understand that feeling. Um, I think, you know, what you're saying about like having Angela Bassett and Forrest Whitaker, I mean, I think that's who you mean in terms of the, that next generation. I mean, that's what you get with an epic story, right? So I referred to Sidney Poitier earlier and, you know, one of the hallmarks of his career is that he's the only black character in many of his films, right? He's playing, he's playing, the role that many of us play, like we're the black person in our office or in our neighborhood doing that hard work of integration. And, um, and so he's alone, uh, beautifully dressed, elegant, well-spoken, and he walks in and sort of does what he needs to do. And what we have in something like Black Panther are generations. We have a community, we have siblings. Um, so that T'Challa is not on his own, Killmonger is not on his own. There's a, um, you get a sense of like, of a, I mean, communities maybe, I don't know, not the right word, but this sense of like epic generations rather than just one isolated character. And that means that we need older people. It means they need, those older people need to have friends. We need cousins, we need neighbors. And that means work for black actors. Right. Um, if you've just tuned in, we are having a delightful conversation with Dr. Terry Francis, a recurring guest on Bring It On. Uh, she's an associate professor of cinema and media studies and director of the Black Film Center Archive in the media school at Indiana University. We're uh, shedding light on the remarkable stage uh, gift that Chadwick Boseman delivered uh, in, in just a few short years before his untimely passing. Uh, one thing, though, as she was just sharing her perspective of the movie and, and some of the elements that really resonated with African-Americans, there was one very, very moving uh, series of, of scenes where the main character was sort of transported into the eternal to talk with the, the ancestors. The father, the grandfather, other loved ones. So it, it was one of those drawing wisdom from the ages, from those who went before, getting guidance and this that, and the other. And that, uh, I think, does speak directly to the African culture. And, and they combine that very well. And, and just the scenes by the tree with the panthers who transmorphed into humans. And you get this sense that, well, wow, this is the mystique of this movie, that it's something far greater and grander than ourselves. And for that, you know, I think it was an awfully, awfully uh, cast and directed movie. Who was, do you recall, the director? Someone had to have the vision for this. Isn't and I know he that, was. 
Ryan Coogler. Okay. Isn't that young Ryan Coogler from um, Fruit Fail Station? And he's and um, I think he did a Rocky film, both films with Michael B. Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's also part of this wonderful young gifted and black cohort. Um, that Ryan Coogler, African American director. Well, you know, uh, go ahead, Cornelius. Well, I was going to uh, kind of add on to that a little bit. Uh, we all know that Chadwick was a wonderful actor, but I also heard that he was a playwright. And I was wondering if uh, you could uh, tell us about some of the projects that he was working on and uh, uh, how that went in, in, in his career. Well, as far as I know, he had... Uh, he had begun as a playwright, I mean, in high school and in college. He went to college to be a theater d- director, um, but was but shifted direction and probably, you know, in this amazing summer program that um, Denzel Washington helped to finance um, in, in England. And at, when he returned, he did some teaching um, at the Schomburg, uh, teaching acting and theater to younger people, and then, um, and then moved to Los Angeles to be an actor. But as I say, I think he was really writing the play of Chadwick Boseman by carefully selecting the characters he would play on screen. Well, we hope to see more projects uh, from that director and um, what a moving tribute to the African-American community and for the world to see us in such a positive light. Um, You know, we're not dealing drugs on a corner. We're not doing all these other heinous things that people sometimes associate us for, but a forward-thinking movie and one that has moved uh, a community. Uh, We only have... About a minute and a half left, but I do want to ask, are there ways that the Black Film Center archives will pay homage through either some temporary or permanent displays or lectures or retrospectives on Chadwick Boseman or the Black Panther movie? Uh, what, what are your future plans if you've developed them at this point? Well, I'm giving it some thought. I mean, I think my presence here and gathering with you all is the work of the Black Film Center archive, bringing these ideas about his had, you know, ways to think about his career um, that I think is less common in the, you know, in the, um, in the press. And, um, and I'm looking for the Neil Marshall to do something awesome. They had a great screening of Black Panther when it came out that gathered all kinds of students and they had costumes and everything. So I think this is a time of really, of remembrance and of really reflecting and having those conversations that you have when someone, you know, passes. Uh, We're preparing a 40th anniversary book about the Black Film Center Archive. And uh, I think we'll have a page to remember him along with a number of independent um, artists and archivists who have passed in the last uh, couple of years. So. mm -hmm. You do a wonderful job of producing and distributing an e-newsletter. Thank you. That uh, captures many different themes uh, that your center is focusing on and reminding people of upcoming events. And uh, I know COVID-19 has sort of put a a pin in some of the planning that has gone on on the campus. And we even see that playing out this first semester. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, uh, we applaud your good work. And we like to have you on back again, as we have in the past, to talk about other 
relevant uh, occurrences in black uh, cinema and TV. And uh, I still want to talk to you about that idea of uh, our favorite black TV shows from the past, oh and, uh, who our favorite characters <laughs> were. Because um, I think I moved from rerun to someone else now, but uh, nevertheless, I want to have a conversation with you on that. Sure, and um, you know, a lot of those shows are coming back. I see. I see. I see. Ready to binge watch. Um, what else is on there? Lots well, of. I think I don't know if Julia is on, but to me, that was the first I saw, and that was groundbreaking. It was Diane Carroll in, in a lot of different ways, and there are a host of other shows. Uh, good times. Good times will live forever. Uh, the Jeffersons may live forever, but uh, there are other shows out there too that have have an indelible mark on our on our lives. Uh, but we want to thank Dr. Terry Francis, who is a recurring guest on Bring It On. She's an associate professor of cinema and media studies and director of the Black Film Center Archive in the Media School at Indiana University. She helped us uh, to remember the remarkable stage and screen presence of actor, writer, and producer Chadwick Boseman, and now. He did have numerous awards that included, um, among others, an, in, an NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Actor in a Motion Picture and a Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Performance by a Cast in a Motion Picture. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. At the top of the hour, we shared that today's broadcast, along with showcasing Chadwick Boseman, Boseman's stellar career, also would focus on the devastating effect of colorectal cancer and viable detection and prevention measures available for men and women. And we will say that we do thank our guest, Dr. Terry Francis, for joining us. Uh, we will be mindful of a final saying by Chadwick Boseman, which was, when I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would not have a single bit of talent left and could say I used everything you gave me. Here to help us interview our next guest in this hour is Bring It On contributor, Roberta Radovich. Good evening, everyone. We are delighted to have back Dr. Karen Reed Renner, a family medicine specialist at Southern Indiana Family Practice Center and Rejuve Spa here in Bloomington. She is trained to manage the diverse medical needs of men, women, and children. And she's been providing expert care for more than 20 years. Dr. Renner, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you, Roberta, I appreciate that. Um, just a correction, um, I haven't been here for 20 years yet, but I've been a, a family physician for more than 20 years. Oh. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I've, been, I've been in the area for more than 18 years. But thank you so much. Those were really kind words. I appreciate it. Well, we just consider you part of the fabric of, of Monroe County now. And 
you were you were splitting assignments between Monroe and Lawrence County. Is that right? Are you still? Yes, yes. That was a while back, but as of um, twenty eleven, I'm only in in Monroe County. Got it. Okay. Well, in the first hour, uh, Dr. Renner, we, of course, talked about the impact of uh, Chadwick Bozeman and his life story. Mm -hmm. um, and just leaving us so soon, a talent that now yes. is has been silenced and is at rest and um, has left just an indelible mark on, on so many people's uh, uh, hearts. And we talked about his capacity to just give of himself in this craft, but we've been also, we did not talk about that which took his life so soon. And that was, uh, he battled, uh, as we all know, colorectal cancer for four years, yes. which causes us to take a pause and to think about our own lives and our own uh, vulnerabilities. And to really just ask the question, um, what is it about this disease that just robs life and, and what are early onset and other identifiable markers of this particular disease? And I'd like to just open up with you sharing some information on that. Yes. So I hope you can hear me clearly. Um, yeah. So col colorectal cancer, um, it, oftentimes you hear it say colorectal cancer because it's a cancer that affects both the colon as well as the rectum. And um, normally uh, you don't see a lot of people in their 40s or 30s having colorectal cancer diagnosis. But um, in my recent reading, it looks like this, um, this is on the rise and um, it, no one really knows why it's on the rise. And what's really, um, annoying about this cancer is that it's a silent killer, really. Just like you've heard the term, high blood pressure is a silent killer in the black community. It is a silent killer because you can be going about your business not knowing that something is brewing in your colon. And so it's important that we understand what some of the risk factors are for colon cancer. So um, like I've touched on age, generally, it's a, a cancer that's usually in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. In fact, when we develop screening methods for um, screening requirements for colon cancer, we usually start at age 50 because that's where we see a large majority of it. Um, and then we cut off about age 75 because after age 75, the studies shows that the colon cancer is not as, as common. Now, what would make someone the age of 40s and 30s have colon cancer? Well, there's a lot of different risk factors, but the most common would be genetic and other such as a family history of colon cancer. And there's a well-known disease um, called familial polyposis coli. And that's just a fancy word for saying that they have a lot of polyps in the colon if you were to do a colonoscopy. And a colonoscopy is actually taking a camera and um, looking at the colon from the bottom up, okay? And so someone with familial polyposis coli would have um, a lot of these little polyps, and I'll go into what a polyp is later. So, so family history, and that points to genetics. And so if someone in your family has colon cancer or familial polyposis coli, that usually requires screening at an earlier age 
And in fact, sometimes it can be heavy screening in your teens, sometimes screening in your 20s and 30s um, and 40s. So um, other risk factors uh, include um, ethnicity. And unfortunately, there's another cancer that's added to the list of risk factors for being African-American. Um, so African-Americans are at a high risk of having colon cancer and dying from colon cancer. So your own personal history plays a role. For example, if you're in your 50s and you had your first screening for colon um, cancer with a colonoscopy and they found a polyp and especially a polyp that's a little bit more aggressive, more excited, like a, I would say uh, a polyp that's on ADD medicine, um, then you're more likely to develop colon cancer later on. Um, so you have to know what your history is. And of course, your, per, per, your personal history also includes your family history. Other things that go along with your personal history is if there's a history of diabetes, is there a history of arthritis, is there a history of Crohn's disease? And Crohn's disease is an inflammatory disease that involves the colon. And a lot of times with this disease, it's in this inflammatory process, you can get polyps, you can get um, fistulas or little holes that communicate with other structures in your gut. So if you know that as part of your disease um, profile, then you need to make sure you talk to your family physician or your internal medicine doctor or your medical provider and make sure that they're aware of this so that they'll know to screen you earlier. Other issues would be if you have a sedentary lifestyle. So someone who is just sitting in front of the TV most of the time as a couch potato or people who have jobs where you're sitting most of the time, that increases your risk. And that's why there's a high recommendation that even though your job doesn't involve walking around like a mailman or any other thing like that, you really need to make sure that you're, you're exercising on a regular basis, at least 30 minutes per day. And that really makes a big difference. The foods we eat makes, plays a role in terms of increasing your risk factor for colon cancer. Um, we live in the McDonald's, Burger King, um, fast food generation. And, uh, and so these kinds of foods that's high fat, high carb, low fiber increases your risk for colon cancer. You know, um, things that are, that has a lot of chemicals in it, the things that we get at dollar store, that's actually pretty reasonable for our budget. But when you read the list of it, there is such a, a, a long list of chemicals and preservatives. Those things are taxing to our system. And if, especially if you are on a low residue diet where you're not really taking a lot of fiber, your food is gonna be hanging out in your gut much longer. And that increases your risk of toxins forming and causing damage to the cells of your, your colon. If you're a smoker, if you're overweight, if you're drinking too much, those are some of the more common risk factors. So we recommend that people drink only two, for men, drink only two drinks a day if you, you know, and that's pretty healthy. That's said to be um, protective for your heart. And for women, only one drink a day. So if you're a woman, you're having three drinks a day, you might be at risk for being, you know, very dependent and be considered an alcoholic. I guess we're all sort of doing the mental checking of the boxes and we're yes. all sort of doing self-inventory. 
And you just prompted me to dust the bike off tomorrow morning <laughs> to get back <laughs> on the trail. Um, me too. I got to go walking. It, it's, you know, our lifestyle, especially in this Western country, in the Western hemisphere. Yes. Especially in America, fast food. A lot of people live by a person could theoretically go to McDonald's from morning or any other fast food morning until yeah. the middle of the night. And that's not yes. healthy. And we know it. Kentucky Fried Chicken yes. or, or McDonald's or Burger King was a rare event when I was growing up. That's it. Now it's that's it's it. it's too commonplace. So the diet is one thing that we all have to work work at. I was really struck yes. as a lot of people that uh, this young man was taken literally, I would say almost at the prime of his life at 43. Um, yes, and that's pretty prefer, young. And perhaps what you described earlier with, as far as genetic and DNA, that probably had more of a say-so if we were to maybe, we're not, we're not doing an autopsy or anything, but, but just in this case, it sounds as if uh, DNA or genetics had more to play with this than anything else? I, I think I think they're probably going to do a lot more, um, you know, investigation to see why this is. But um, in, in a way, you know, it's it's helpful now because now it has raised awareness in not just in the Black community, but in communities all over. You know, I was reading a, an article for, I think it was either the New York Times or one of the New York, New York um, uh, newspapers, and they were talking about how uh, New Yorkers were, you know, they were pretty much like in shock. And so everybody's now going to, concerned about going in to talk to their doctors about getting screened for colon cancer. Sure. So it's raising that conversation and especially for our community of color, it's a good thing for us to be able to begin to discuss this because a lot of times we think that it's something that's going to happen to older people. And so you don't have to worry about it. But now that you know that, now we can begin to have that conversation mm -hmm. because it's one of the cancers that if it's caught early, um, you can live pretty, you can enjoy a pretty long life. But if it's caught late, it's a, it's a serious uphill battle. Okay. One of the things that struck me, Dr. Renner, was when I was looking through uh, cancer.org to kind of get myself familiar um, with some yes. of the conversation. I noticed that I'm kind of circling back to what you said about uh, the cancer appearing in younger people. And I was noticing that cancer.org was saying more research is needed. I'm not trying to speculate anything really yes. here, but that there is a an, there is a preponderance of night shift workers, quote unquote, people who work third shift, who have yeah. the um, who have cancer, and how that is connected. They presume with you know more research is needed, presuming that it's connected to the hormone melatonin that's needed, and it's connected to light. It's just making me speculate as a lay science interested person about the connection between our mobile devices and how we never really shut down exactly and the impact that that really does. Yes. I don't know, I'm not sure. And so because I haven't spent time with the research, I don't really have uh, an educated comment on the effects of our mobile devices. I, it's, mm -hmm. There's some radiation, I've, from what I've looked at, they've said it's, 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 it's safe. 
but I still hold a healthy respect because a lot of the times it takes time for us to really be able to get the the, the correct data, as you know, as an educator as you are. Now, um, I think what I would have come to the conclusion about those people who are night shift workers is that it, it's it's not it's not natural for us to work at night. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to be sleeping at night and then working during the day. So there is a great deal of stress to our immune system and our hormone system. Okay. And melatonin is really important in terms of our sleep. So the whole night shifting is actually rearranging um, our, our hormones and that's an added stress. So if you think of the risk factors, African-American stress, right? Lower socioeconomic is right. also stress. Um, uh, other things, diabetes, inflammation, um, which also is stress. Um, so anything that's stress right. is going to affect your immune system. And your immune system is what fights off foreign things. So this brings us into kind of trying to figure out, well, what is, what is cancer? Well, cancer basically is just your own body cells not listening to itself and the, the, um, the parameters that have been put in place to say you sell, you divide, but this far and no further. And that cell will just ignore that signal and begin to divide. When you over divide, where is that cell going to go? Now it's going to begin to like pop out and overgrow. So you get like a tumor. And so tumor is just an overgrowth of the same cells that keeps reproducing over and over again and not listening to it. It's not obeying social distancing protocols, basically. Does that make sense? <laughs> That's well, in terms actually of cells, very good sense. Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, I always assumed oh, that colorectal cancer was more predominant in men as opposed to women, but that certainly is not the case, I imagine. I'm looking at, I'm, I have a little cheat sheet here. It's the same. It's the third leading cause of death for both men and women. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So we all need to hold each other accountable. Um, you know, just more Absolutely. fresh fruits, more vegetables. If we, if we do yes. like bread, then bread with higher grain or whole grain bread. Um, right, absolutely. So if you, if you were to talk about, if you were to talk about lifestyle changes, yes, definitely. You need to be on a higher fiber, low carb, low fat. Um, I guess that would be kind of like a Mediterranean diet um, right. and less alcohol. Stop smoking, exercise more, um, and get good sleep. And get some sun is what I heard my uh, get my, some my sun. Say well, the sun is good. Well, sun is good for um, for your vitamin D, which also helps with your mental state of mind and your immune system for sure. And maintaining a healthy weight is really important. Which we all I need I need to work on that. Um, there, there's some remedies that over the years I've always heard people practice uh, a colonic or regular irrigation of one's uh, um, bowels. Um, can you yes. talk toward that? I mean, you, you do run the Rejuve Spa, and I wonder if one of the offerings at the Rejuve Spa is to totally get rejuved. 
<laughs> well, <clears throat> we work more on like relaxation and sure. and um, making you look a little bit younger and fresher with fillers and, sure. and Botox. So we kind of get rid of your wrinkles and things like that. But in terms of um, the colonics, that's more of like the integrative medicine. And that does have a, a place. It, that's, you know, it's a very wide area, very involved. Some people use coffee grounds to, to do their colonics. And basically what it comes down to is making sure that you're not constipated. And constipation is when you have to force to get your your your, your feces out. So okay. um, to force to have a, a bowel movement. And that's what having a high fiber diet does. A rough estimate is to drink half your body weight in water, in ounces of water per day. And that actually helps, it's the best laxative. It helps you to stay regular. So people who are more likely to be constipated or have bowel issues that slow down the transit time through their guts tend to be more constipated and that increases their risk of colon cancer. Uh, we have about really uh, about a couple minutes left and um, Roberta, if, is, if there's a burning question that I've not asked or has not been addressed, can you ask a final question and Dr. Renner then we'll ask you to sort of leave a final thought or two. Yeah, Dr. Renner, so uh, we've covered um, a lot of ground here. How often should we get tested? Very good question. So in terms of screening, as I've, as I've uh, alluded, um, if there's a family history and a personal history of that puts you at increased risk for colon cancer, you need to be screened earlier than age 50. So um, a lot of the different organizations that govern medicine and gives recommendations, they recommend age 50 is the first onset of screening. However, if say your uncle or your dad had colon cancer at 40, you need to be screened at 30, 10 years earlier than the time of diagnosis. And so it, it's, the screening schedule depends on what, um, what method you use. If you have a colonoscopy, that's every 10 years. There's another one called the Cola Garden. A lot of us have seen the commercial um, with the, the cartoon character on the toilet. That one is every four years. And back in the day, they would have, your, your doctor would do a rectal exam and then he'll take a little bit of sample off his glove and put it on a card and then put some liquid on it. And then they'll say it's positive or negative. That little test is every year. And those tests are not as reliable. The best test is actually the colonoscopy. And the reason why it's the best test, it's the most detailed. Uh, it's the most annoying, but it's the most detailed. They, it's annoying because you have to go through that horrible, um, you know, um, <laughs> purging with the, yeah. with, the, with the liquid before. <laughs> and, you know, you're on the toilet for the whole day. And then you could go there and you're still not empty and they send you back. Um, so that one is the best because they're looking with the camera and they also have a device that if they see a polyp that they're concerned about, um, oftentimes if they see a polyp, they just remove it. But if there's one that they're more concerned about, that's sent to the pathologist and the pathologist can tell you right away whether or not that is cancer within several days, so to speak. 
uh, or pre-cancer. So the colonoscopy is the best. It gives you the most information. And what I like about it is that I don't have to do that for another 10 years. So if there is, um, if there is a, a, a polyp that shows more question of a precancer cell, they may say it's hyperplastic, then, um, then they would have you come back within five years. Sometimes it would be three years, depending on how concerned they are. You know, I think we're in a time where there's just so many assaults on our community um, as a whole, not just in terms of the social stresses that we have to go through and our children have to go through. And all of this impacts our health. And I think this is the time we come together, we talk about these issues and we develop ways that we can motivate family members, you know, that uncle, that grandpa, who is like afraid of going to see their doctor to get in there, to get tested, because the sooner you get tested, the sooner it's caught, the more likely that we can change the statistics that we don't die from this disease. We don't have to die from this disease. We die because we show up at the table late. We gotta get there early, okay? so that we can live longer. We deserve to live longer. I think with all the stresses we've gone through for, the, for over 400 years, okay, we have survived, which means that we are strong people. And if we take care of ourselves, we will outlive a whole lot of folk, okay? And that's my final con conclusion about that. Thank you for li listening. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's so important what you've said. We really appreciate what you've given to us today. We want to thank Dr. Karen Reed Renner, a family medicine specialist at Southern Indiana Family Practice Center and Rejuve Spa, for joining us to discuss the devastating effects of colorectal cancer and viable detection and prevention measures available for men and women. Let's get tested, y'all. And this has been a wake up uh, conversation that is long overdue and um, yes. let, let's heed her, her, uh, her sage advice. If you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, please send the info directly to the Bring It On staff or if you want additional information about a calendar event that you've heard, contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is my good friend, Clarence Boone, with help from WFHB News Director, Cade Young. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effium and graphic promotional illustrations provided by William Hosea. For additional background tracks by David Baker and, w and for WFHB, and Cornelius Wright, Clarence Boone, Amarita Myers, Beverly Callender Anderson, and William Hosea, and me, Roberta Radovich, thank you for listening today. And uh, we can't say enough, I just want to throw a shout out to William Hosea, who not only has done extremely great graphic promotions for our shows as of late, uh, but he has organized these Zoom conference calls, and, and he is just that well adept and and a, a, a jack of all trade, a multi-talented individual, um, and has really served to, to be more than just an assistant producer. And we just want to take our hats off to him. Um, 
I'm Clarence Boone, and tune in next Monday, September 14th at 6 p.m. to bring it on for another exciting show right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.